forgiveness? It's a uh, pretty relevant question, especially in light of some of the things that happened this past week in Charleston, South Carolina. We had nine people that were shot and killed in a church prayer meeting down there. One of the uh, amazing things is the reaction of some of the family members of those who were killed. They, they've come right out publicly and they've said that they forgive the murderer. Uh, amazing, isn't it? That they would be able to go on record and say that they, they forgive the murderer, they pray for, for his soul, they pray for his family. Uh, we've seen similar things as that when they, out in Pennsylvania, they had the school children that were killed in the Christian school. I think it was an Amish school. Some of the people indicated their forgiveness for the one that carried out that dastardly, dastardly crime and killed them. Uh, an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, to answer the, first of all, we might think of, of the, the question here. Is that what God expects? from us as believers in a situation like that. To answer the first question, uh, we can offer forgiveness to anyone as God does. God offers forgiveness. Perhaps a better question would be, are we to automatically grant forgiveness to everyone whether or not there is any repentance? Or are there conditions to be met before we grant genuine and full forgiveness. Before you answer that question in your own mind, go with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, and hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Then he, that's Jesus, said to the disciples, It's impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they do come. As we go through this life, it's impossible to go through this life without people stepping on your toes. Impossible to go through this life without people slapping you on the cheek. It's impossible to go through this life without all kind of difficulties coming, even for the people of God. We're going to have all kinds of difficulties in this life. Jesus goes on and says, It would be better for these offenders of his people if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, then he should offend one of these little ones. That's children. That's also the children of God. And then he says in verse 3, Take heed to yourselves. How do you respond in such situations? He says, If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles hear this, and they say to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. The important thing is the object of our faith, the person whom we trust. And the disciples really ask him, how can we do what you're asking us here, Lord? We need more. All we need is just a little real faith. He says it's impossible to go through this life without being offended, hurt, or, or sinned against by other people. He also said that God would deal severely with those who hurt his little ones. And he also tells his followers to deal with brothers 
who sin against them. He tells us, number one, rebuke. And number two, if a brother repents, forgive. Rebuke, forgive. This is uh, certainly not the only passage in Scripture about forgiveness. There are many others. Uh, if you want to get the full orb view in Scripture about this matter. But this is certainly a good place to make a start. When we think about this matter of forgiving those who maybe haven't asked for our forgiveness, the first thing we need to do is understand what forgiveness is all about. I think there are some misconceptions. Some people say, well, I, I might be able to forgive, but I can't forget, or I can't forgive because I can't forget. Well, we, we look at what forgiveness is all about. We find that there are, are three key truths we want to zero in on here to begin with. First of all, our forgiveness of others is to be patterned after God's forgiveness of us. In fact, if you've ever repeated the pattern for prayer that's sometimes called the Lord's Prayer, you've prayed, Father, forgive us our trespasses, debts, sins, whatever. How? As we forgive others. We want God's we want God's forgiveness and our forgiveness to be caught up together. Over in Ephesians 4, we're told that we ought to forgive each other the way that Christ has forgiven us. So the pattern for forgiveness, you think about how, what do we do when we forgive somebody? The pattern is God's forgiveness of us. What's God do when he forgives us? Well, we find that in forgiving us, what God does is he commits himself or he he promises to not remember our sins in the sense of not bringing them up against us as a basis for his treatment of us, especially punishment. I'm glad that if Christ, God's forgiven my sins through the shed blood of Christ, I'm not going to get to the, the, the door of heaven one of these days when I leave this world and God say, hey, I got something here I want to bring up. I'd like to let you in. But, but here's some sins that we, we're just going to have to talk about, we're going to have to deal with. Now, when, when we get God's forgiveness, he promises not to bring our sins up against us. It's like the cancellation of a debt. We had a debt of sin. He canceled that debt. Why did he cancel it? Because our debt was paid by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. When God just said, forget about it, but, but Christ actually paid... And we find that our forgiveness must include a similar, hit it, Hal. Our forgiveness needs to be similar. Uh, God doesn't bring up our sin against us once it's forgiven. Uh, and in our situation, when we bring up, when we forgive somebody, we're saying, I'm not going to bring this up anymore. It's covered by the blood of Christ. I have forgiven you. I have chosen to forgive you. It's an act of my will. It's a decision I made, a commitment that I've made. I, I'm not going to hold this again. You know, if we could just learn that in, in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships with people, we would be so much better off. There's so many people fighting over things that happened years and years and years ago in their marriages when, when there are things that just need to be forgiven. And once forgiven, not brought up. Not only do we not bring them up to the offender anymore, we don't bring it up to other people. 
Oh, you know what so-and-so did to me? We don't bring it up to other people. And we don't even bring it up to ourselves to dwell on it. When we think of that person, when we see them, we, we, the first thought is, oh, that's that person said those nasty things. We don't bring it up. We don't dwell on, on past forgiven offenses. For, by the way, when we think about this, forgiveness is not dependent upon feelings or on forgetting. Uh, when we think about this matter of, of forgetting, does an all-knowing God ever lose his awareness of anything? Absolutely not. One of the uh, key attributes of God is that he is omniscient. What's that mean? That means he knows everything. He knows everything that's happened in the past. He knows everything's going to happen in the future. So God doesn't have anything taken out of his memory banks. It's all there. So he doesn't forget about all of our sins, but he forgets about them in the sense that they're covered by the blood of Christ and he's not going to deal with us on the basis of those sins. Now, some people say, well, I can't forgive because I just can't forget what they did to me. Well, it would be impossible, perhaps, to forget what people have done for us. Although, I find when we develop a forgiving spirit, some of those things develop or, or go more and more into the, to the background. But even if you can't forget what somebody's done to you, when you forgive them, you're choosing not to hold that against them. You don't consider to maintain a bitter attitude towards them. You don't seek vengeance. You don't try to get even with them. We follow God's pattern. It's in the past. It's under the blood of Christ. It's forgiven. And if, if it pops into your mind, I guarantee you, you forgive somebody something, the devil's going to do his best to try to bring it back to your mind. And if he does, what you do is you say, hey, that's forgiven. That's under the blood of Christ. Just like my sins are under the blood of Christ. We follow God's pattern. Also, forgiveness, as we said a moment ago, is, is not based on feelings. Even if you don't feel very positive towards somebody, you still treat them in forgiving fashion if indeed forgiveness has taken place. Forgiveness is kind of like agape love. It is a choice. It is a commitment. I choose to act in this fashion towards the person. I choose to act by, by not bringing up things that they have done against me. We find also that forgiveness uh, usually involves, as we see here in Luke 17, rebuke and repentance. Uh, we, we see what Christ had to, to say here. He says in, in verse 3, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, what's he saying? Rebuke him. What's it mean to rebuke? Well, to rebuke, mean the, the, the Greek term, epitomao, uh, means literally to reprove or censure or speak seriously, to warn in order to prevent an action or bring one to an end. It, it comes literally from seeing something as significant. And basically, somebody's done something significant to you. They've hurt you. It's still affecting you. What do you do in a situation like that? Well, you go to them and you you confront them with it. You, you, you deal with them. That's what it says here in, in, in Luke chapter 17. That's Christ's words. 
if, if you go over to Matthew 18, you find over there, it says if your brother offends you, what do you do? You go to him. Human beings don't operate that way too many times. Even Christians don't operate that way. They'll go and tell everybody else in the neighborhood. They'll go tell everybody else in the church what somebody's done for them. But as far as going for a face-to-face meeting with somebody, that's hard to do. And sometimes we're a little bit cowardly, and, and we don't do that. But really, that's the issue. If you've got an issue with me, who do you need to come to? You need to come to me. Not to everybody else in the world. If I've done something to hurt you, you come to me. Let's deal with it. Uh, so, so and Galatians chapter 6 says, if, if you see a brother overtaken in, in, a, in a trespass, in a sin, you who are spiritual, you go and restore them in, in a spirit of meekness and humility, watching out for yourself, lest you fall into sin as well. So we find that there were... There is a need for, for us to care enough about somebody sometimes to confront them. Now, our, our tendency, is, is sometimes even as believers, is somebody does something to us, we just end a relationship. I don't need them. I got lots of other people. So we just develop a bitter spirit towards them or an angry spirit towards them, and we, we, we just shut them out of our lives but we don't really, because we still consider that continue to carry that, that attitude of bitterness towards them. And that eats us alive, and that affects our relationship with God. What's God say to do here? What's the Lord say? Confront, go to, in a spirit of love, in, in a, a spirit of humility. Now, first of all, before we do this, sometimes Christians get messed up here. And every little thing that happens, they're running to somebody, and, and I got to, you know, you offended me. Or I got this against you. The fact of the matter is, not every single offense needs to be rebuked. What's it tell us in 1 Peter 4, 8? It says, above everything else, we are to have fervent love for one another. Really love each other. And if we really love each other, then love's going to cover a multitude of sins. The fact of the matter is, if all of us, would go and confront each other about everything that happens. Every time we get our, our, our toes stepped on, every time we get uh, uh, neglected a little bit or something happens, we probably wouldn't get a whole lot else done. We're, 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 we're sinners, right? We still have sin natures. We still hurt each other. We, we still do such to, to, to hurt each other. And, and so we need to be careful. Uh, many offenses are simply covered by love. We choose to let them go without the need to make an issue of them or to take further action. That's true in homes. That's true in the church. If my wife confronted me with every issue that she had with me, she'd probably be complaining to me all the time. I'm not a perfect person. I'm not a perfect husband. But because she loves me, a lot of the things... She just lets go. You know? I chew with my mouth open. She doesn't tell me about that all the time. She uh, doesn't tell me about every little thing that, can, that offends her. Or, or I, I may leave something to lay out. And sometimes, you know, she could jump over me about that all the time, but sometimes she just puts it away. And so it helps the relationship big time. 
And, and we need to learn to do that. Love what? Covers a multitude of sin that, that we don't go and rebuke somebody for all the time. Well, well, when do we go and rebuke somebody? When do we confront somebody? Well, we confront somebody with, with their, their sin against us when, 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 number one, it may be a continuing thing. They're continuing to do this. It's a pattern, and it needs to be addressed. Secondly, we confront if it's something we can't get rid of. We just keep thinking about it, and it is, it is standing between me and the person that hurt me. If there's something coming between us, then it needs to be dealt with. If it can be covered by love and it doesn't cause a rift between us, then we just let love cover a multitude of sin. But, but if I'm, I'm developing the wrong kind of spirit, the wrong kind of attitude, then I need to go. And I need to bring the issue up. And we need to talk about it and see what can, can be done. The purpose of rebuke, by the way, is not to tell somebody off. In fact, that word rebuke maybe carries some negative connotations to it. We need to be awful careful about it. We need to be very careful when we're talking to somebody in a situation like this. But, but the purpose is to turn someone from sin, is to be reconciled with our brother or our sister. You know, one of the things that breaks the heart of God is when brothers and sisters in Christ have issues that stand between them. They don't want to sit on the same side of the church as each other. They, they don't want to talk to each other. That breaks the heart of God. You, you think about yourself as a parent. Uh, what a great thing when your children get along with each other. And when they don't, well, when you've got a, a son that, that's upset with a daughter and won't speak to her, well, that just that breaks your heart. So one of the things we're after in this whole forgiveness thing is Reconciliation. It's not just coming to the place, well, i got lots of other people in my life. I don't need them, so just let them go their own way. I'm just going to have anything to do with it. No. God wants us to be reconciled. Reconciled. When we have a relationship, the relationship's restored. When, when Peter sinned against Christ and denied him three times, Jesus went to him, we're told, after the resurrection. And the, the main thing was not just to say, okay, Peter, you know, forget about it or... or or don't worry about it anymore. The big thing was to restore that relationship between Peter and Jesus. And the thing the Lord wants in these rebukes is for us to, to, to be reconciled to each other. And, and if we talk to somebody, confront to somebody when they've sinned against us, we find that we're to speak. In fact, we are always to speak. According to Ephesians 4.29, we're speak not to tear people down, we are to speak in such a way as to impart grace and to build up, to edify. And we talk about sometimes the, the, use the word constructive criticism. I'll tell you what, if we're going to be critical, we better make sure it's constructive. Sometimes a lot of criticism is not constructive. But we as believers are always to speak to edify, speak to build up. Man, if we could do that. But too often, we speak to tear down. Somebody speaks to tear us down, and then we, we how do we respond? We're, we're tended to speak back the same way. I tell you what, there's no exception to Ephesians 4.29. We're always to speak to build up others in the body of Christ. We think some, the, the manner of rebuke, always to be in that fashion, is to be in love, is to be in humility. 
because let's face it, we're all sinners saved by grace, right? And in fact, what Jesus say? We start wanting to take the splinter out of somebody else's eye. What are we supposed to do? Get the log out of our own eye. And we need to be conscious of the fact that we go and, and we, we try to confront somebody that's hurt us. We better recognize we may well have confronted them. We may well have hurt them as well. In fact, one of the problems with having a, a log in your eye is everybody you get around just smack them in the head with that log, right? Cause all kind of damage. Get the log out of your own eye. Then you worry about the little splinter in somebody else's eye. We do have biblical examples of rebuke. We have uh, uh, Nathan confronted David the king with his, his issues with Bathsheba, uh, sent by God to do that. We have Jesus uh, rebuke Peter. We have uh, Jesus rebuke Martha on one occasion. Martha comes to Jesus and she says, Hey, uh, Lord, tell Mary to help me. Mary's here sitting at your feet, and I'm putting the dinner on the table. Would you please tell Mary to help me? And what did the Lord say? Martha, Martha, don't you know, Mary's chosen the best thing. You're not always going to have me with you. The main thing the relationship. You know, you're all worked up about dinner. And the most important thing in the world is not dinner. Now, I know it's getting close to noon, and it's becoming more important to you, but... The most important thing in the world is not dinner. The most important thing is our relationship with people. The Lord instructs Martha along those lines. We find Paul rebukes the Corinthians and the Galatians. Jesus rebukes the churches in in the book of Revelation. Uh, you look at the, the seven churches there in the first uh, chapter 2 and 3 in Revelation. We also see that Jesus talks about the importance of repentance. Genuine repentance oftentimes involves repentance. That third verse says, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And what to say after that? And if he repents, forgive him. And if it happens seven times in one day, then you forgive him seven times in one day. In another passage, when Peter asked about forgiving his brother seven times, what did the Lord say? Not seven times, but how, how much did he expand it? Seventy times seven. Okay, so you count 483, 489, and then you get to the 490, and then you zap them, right? No, that's not what he had in mind. He had in mind the idea of always having a forgiving attitude, a forgiving spirit. And to repent means to change the mind, to, to, to see from a, to perceive afterwards. Basically, it has to do with seeing what your, your actions look like, what you did in the past, and seeing how wrong you were. You ever been there? You ever done that? You ever done something or said something? Say, hey, man, I don't know why I did that. It, it was wrong. I should have never said that. I've, I've done that publicly a few times. even said things from the pulpit, and that's tough. Because then you've got to come and eat crow front of everybody else and say, hey, I should not have said that. And I need I need forgiveness from the person that I, I said it about or said it to or whatever. So it's a change of mind, attitude, purpose. Uh, it's what we need to do. A lot of times we, we love our sin and we don't want to forsake it, but we need this, this repentance. The big question comes up right here then. Okay, if Jesus says, if they repent, then forgive them. Does that mean then that, that I, I forgive someone 
if he does not repent and ask my forgiveness. Basically, is forgiveness conditional upon them repenting? And to sum it up, in some ways, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because what's forgiveness about? Forgiveness is about reconciliation. Forgiveness is about not bringing it up. The fact of the matter is, if something's not been resolved, sometimes there may be an occasion to to bring it up. You don't. I'm not going to bring it up anymore. If we forgive, we don't bring it up anymore. But if we hold back forgiveness, that that doesn't mean we're given license to have a bitter spirit or to seek revenge or want all kinds of terrible things to happen to the person. Is forgiveness conditional upon repentance? Yeah. In many ways it is. Uh, example, do we forgive terrorists? Do we forgive those people over the Middle East that are chopping off the heads of believers just because they're Christian? Do, do we, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to choose to forgive them. I'll tell you what, if I have the chance to talk to one of those guys at some point, one of my things is going to be to try to share the gospel with them. Hey, do you realize what you're doing? You are sinning against the holy God. You are are killing his children. And and you're killing the followers of Jesus Christ. And you need to see that Christ is your only hope of forgiveness. I'm not going to say I'm never going to bring up their sin. Because I want to bring it up. need to bring it up. God needs to deal with them. So, no, we don't forgive when there's something we need to continue to, to bring up. The Bible teaches that forgiveness is usually conditional. That's what we see here and what Jesus said. It's also what we see is about God's forgiveness. What do we have to do to have eternal life? Well, we're told John 3, 16, what? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He made forgiveness possible. He says that whosoever, what? Believes will have eternal life. Will not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life. Is that forgiveness, that eternal life? Is that conditional? Is that conditional? What's it conditional on? It's conditional on repenting of my sin and putting my faith in Jesus Christ. We see that repeatedly through the scriptures that God's forgiveness is conditional. In Luke 24, 47, Jesus tells his disciples, I want you to go out and I want you to preach repentance and the remission of sin. What's remission of sins dependent upon? Repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 17, God commands all men everywhere to repent. People are not automatically going to heaven because Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. We have a responsibility. Our responsibility is to see our need of a Savior and put our our trust in Christ to be our own personal Savior. The Bible knows nothing of forgiveness without repentance. In fact, we're called upon as believers on certain issues to deal with others conditionally. In 1 Corinthians, there's a man in the church that's involved in immorality with his stepmother. And the church was saying, oh, we're being loving to this guy, and they're just accepting him the way that he is, and no problem about it. And Paul basically says, hey, You need to exclude that guy from the church fellowship. You ought to not even be eating with that guy. Well, that's conditional love. No, that's real love, 
But that is a conditional thing. If I, you don't just forgive that guy. Why? Because he hasn't repented. He needed to have his sin brought up to him and fell with And Thank God you go over to 2 Corinthians, and you find out that the guy did repent. And Paul tells them, welcome him back into the fellowship because the sorrow he's had and the pain that he's had has been enough. That's how it's supposed to work. As sin's dealt with, brings about repentance. And then forgiveness can be genuine. It can be real. Hit it, Hal. Please. But that brings up, uh, what about Jesus' prayer when he's on being nailed to the cross? What did he pray? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. Was it Jesus forgiving these men as they're pounding the nails into his hands and into his feet? And do you suppose they're asking forgiveness while they're doing that? I don't think so. These are pretty crusty, cruel men. What did they do with his clothes? They, they, they tore some of them in half and divided them up, and, and they gambled for some. That's the kind of guys you got. They're the kind of guys that when, when uh, they, they want the, the prisoners, the, the people being crucified, to die quicker... They went around, they broke their legs. And when it came to Jesus, he looked like he was already dead. And they, they didn't break his legs, but just to make sure, what did they do? Took a spear, jammed it into his side. Were these men repentant? I don't think so. So uh, Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But I would remind you, that Jesus was not speaking to these men. He's talking to his heavenly Father. He's praying for them. Other scriptures teach us clearly that in order for anyone to be saved and given the gift of eternal life and forgiven, he must put his faith in Christ. He must repent of his sin and put his faith in Christ. Were these men that he's praying for, were they going to go to heaven? Because Jesus' prayer, because of his prayer for forgiving them, now, the message of the Bible is that, that God made all the provision for man's salvation. In fact, that's what Jesus is doing on the cross. But, but man is responsible to repent and believe before he becomes a recipient of that forgiveness. Jesus was praying that these men would be brought to the place of repentance and faith. Yeah, that's all wrapped up in that. The Father forgives them. And kind of neat, you read through the passage. And you read a little later on after Jesus dies, remember what the centurion cried out? Surely this was the Son of God. I think the prayer was answered in regards to that guy, perhaps right at that point. And later on we find that uh, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 got saved. And we find one thing about Jesus' prayer. It indicates a forgiving spirit and a willingness to forgive. And the implication for you and me is that we should have the same kind of spirit, same kind of attitude that Jesus had. We, uh, we don't promise to not bring up an offense when there has, has not been repentance or, or a request for forgiveness, but there are times that we need to bring another sin up against them to deal with it, but we must do so in love, mercy, humility, remembering our own sinfulness and our forgiveness by grace. Several situations where we might see that genuine forgiveness can be a reality, even when rebuke and repentance are impossible. Somebody's hurt you, and they died. Uh, 
Are you going to be able to rebuke them? Not in this lifetime. Uh, we, we find that, what are you going to do? You, you can't expect to get repentance from them in this lifetime. What do you do about a situation like that? Or an offender's far removed from you in time, distant. That guy that bullied you back in high school 40 years ago. You, know, you don't even have any idea where the guy is. Or maybe turn it around, the guy you bullied 40 years ago in high school. What about in those situations? Or sometimes we're separated by station in life. I think of President Bill Clinton and the immorality that he brought into the highest office in the land. I was raising kids when that happened. And what a terrible example for my kids. you suppose I'll ever have the opportunity to rebuke Bill Clinton? Probably not. Probably not. So what do you do in situations like that? Or, or here's the biggie. You, somebody has hurt you. You think they're dead wrong, but they don't realize they did anything wrong. In fact, they think they were right. Have you ever had a situation like that? That maybe might be the mo- most common one you run into, where people have differences, and one thinks, well, man, I'm right, they're wrong. And they say, no, I'm right, they're wrong. Well, what do you do? You just develop a bitter spirit, and you hate them, and you pray all kind of evil things against them for the rest of their life, right? I don't think that's the way God wants us to handle that. In fact, I'm sure that it's not. There, there's a, another factor that comes up here, and it's the exhortation we have to love others and trust God. Conditional the Forgiveness is conditional. Love is not necessarily conditional. In fact, we're called upon in Scripture to love who? Our neighbor, our, our husbands and wives. We're called upon to, to love our neighbors. We're called upon to our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, we're even called upon to love our enemies. And uh, the term agape is the idea of seeking the best for somebody, seeking their even their best interest. Those terrorists over the Middle East, how do you love somebody like that? Well, you sure want them to see them turn from that. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see some of them come to know Christ? Could, could, could God forgive some of those who would repent of their sin and put their faith in, in Christ, who they, whose people they're persecuting? Could God do that? You, you think he really could? I mean, these, these guys are killing other people just for being Christians, persecuting just for being Christians. Could God do that? You ever hear of Saul of Tarsus? What did he do? Persecuted the church. Held the coats while they stoned Stephen and cheered the people on. Yeah, God could do that. Do we forgive these people? No, they haven't asked for repentance. But we can still have an enemy kind of love for them where we we sure want them to be stopped. One great way for them to be stopped would be through repentance and forgiveness of sins through coming to know Christ as Savior. We find that not forgiving also is not promising. When we don't, when we refuse to forgive, we don't, we need to do that. We find that uh, not forgiving does not mean we get to harbor bitterness, hold a grudge, seek revenge. This brother principle comes into play again from what we're told to love one another. And we also have another exhortation here. 
exhortation to love, an exhortation to trust God, to deal perfectly with others, even those who sin against us and our loved ones, and they, they don't come for any forgiveness. They don't come for any repentance. Reminder, it's not up to you and me to execute God's vengeance. That's not our job. It's not for us to carry a bitter spirit of animosity and hatred inside of us. That's disobedient to God and destructive within ourselves. Have that kind of an attitude. What's it tell us in Romans chapter 12? Well, it tells us repay no one evil for evil. If as much as possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. You get that? Now, there are some people you may not be able to live peaceably with, but but we better make sure we're doing everything that we possibly can to live peaceably with all men. And then he says, do not avenge yourselves. Rather, give place to wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We trust God. Trust God to, to pour out his wrath in a perfect way, in a perfect time, and we leave that with God. We don't... We don't have to do that ourselves. We forgive like God forgives. We strive to be like Jesus, having a, a forgiving spirit, but, but confronting sin when it's necessary and when it's possible and when it's appropriate. We treat all with love, and we trust God to deal with those who hurt his people in his perfect time and his perfect way. Sometimes we try to get even, and what happens? We make terrible mistakes get even with somebody or try to get even with somebody and find out they really haven't even done anything to you. And here you've done terrible things. Father, thank you for your forgiveness. I pray that you would help us to be a forgiving people. Lord, our relationships with one another as your children is important to you. You want it to be important to us. So when there's a falling out, that we would seek reconciliation that we would do as, as much as it lies with us to live at peace with all men. Lord, help us to have the courage to confront when necessary, to confront in, in a humble and a loving fashion. And then, Lord, we pray you give us the strength and the Christ-likeness to practice genuine forgiveness when that is appropriate. Help us not to bring up the past, or the devil tries to get us to do that all the time. Help us not to bring it up. Help us to put things under the blood of Christ. Lord, I am so thankful that my sins are under the blood of Christ. And you're not going to bring them up against me again, ever. And I'm thankful for that, Lord. Help me to have that kind of forgiveness towards other people as well. Help us to be like Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Take the hymnal. Turn to 388. I pray you'd sing this as the prayer of your heart. And I pray that you'd take it a step further. And I would pray that if you've got somebody that comes to your mind that you need to forgive, somebody you need to be reconciled with, that you would make a commitment in your heart right now that you're going you're to contact that person this week. You're going to try to get things straightened out with them. And, and first and foremost, if you need to be reconciled to God, you need Christ as your Savior, that's where it all begins. Stand together. I would be like Jesus. Please.